This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This episode features Ev Gold of the legendary band Cinema Cinema, not the slightly lesser known band Circus Circus. Ev's band consists of him and his cousin Paul Claro. There's a 10 year age difference between them, but it melts as soon as they start playing. There's great stories of driving 12 hours for one gig, short circuiting an entire German bar, and believe it or not, Hurricane Sandy. It's a high energy show with a high energy guy. Follow the guys at Cinema Cinema Band on all social media to buy their music and get tour info. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Get merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Subscribe, rate, review, and jump into this episode with Ev Gold of Cinema Cinema. All right. Hello, everybody. This is Ev Gold of Cinema Cinema from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you're about to listen to me converse with Mark on performance anxiety. Strap in, it gets a little crazy. Totally, totally understand. That's a smart idea. I like where you're going. Awesome, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's really a pleasure to have you on. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time, my man. So you guys, uh, you are in... The band Circus uh, Cinema Cinema. You know, it's funny. I keep saying Circus Circus, and that's not even close. It's it's that's an old Blackie Lawless band from. I, <laughs> well, you start with the, the CI. You know, c, c, you know, so it's very close, and I don't have any issue at all with anything wasp related or blackly lawless I'm, I'm i'm all good with that all right good um good. and we all we do get wild and crazy and intense like some sort of really painful circus um <laughs> but uh yeah no it is it, it does happen to be cinema cinema forgiven forgotten it's quite all right perfect thank you yeah i hate screwing that shit up i hate it because i spent no I, worries i've literally spent days researching you guys and listening to your your latest album and mm-hmm. I hate when I blow it like that. And just for the record, that's staying in the podcast. So yeah, leave it in. Come on, <laughs> this is this is the real deal stuff, man. Exactly. You no, know, yeah. There's no. There's, we want to preserve the moment. You know, we don't need to like edit this into uh, you know the great sermon from the hilltop. Like exactly. you know, the bumps and the bruises are the parts that generally we remember. Usually, it's a. Uh, it's the uh, it's the kind of screwy things that stand out. Uh, and I know whenever we're in the studio, one of the things we've come to find is uh, um, there's no such thing as a mistake. Like uh, if you find that you, that you've done something that wasn't planned, uh, happy accident, oftentimes um, 
is benefited from being uh, accentuated rather than buried. Oh, so, like uh, yeah, well, that's something we actually we, we, we learned um, through uh, the producer who did our last few records. He didn't do the most recent one, which we're going to speak about, the CCXMD, the, the, the fifth album that we've made that's coming out in November. Not He didn't produce that one, but he okay. produced the previous ones. Um, he produced Man Bites Dog, which is a record we put out in 2017, and he produced A Night at the Fights, which was a record we put out in 2014, and that's a gentleman named Martin B.C., and uh, he's – a, um, I mean, I can go ahead and say he's like an iconic producer. He's an extremely important um, sound maker, master manipulator here in the borough of Brooklyn. He's okay. run his, he's run BC Studios since I believe 1981. It's going on oh. close to 40 years. Jeez. He's worked with, yeah, Sonic Youth, Swans, Helmet, Africa Bombada, Cop Shoot Cop, Herdy, Herbie Hancock, Iggy Pop, Henry Rollins. Um, uh, I mean, every and wow. any important artist that you could possibly think of has passed through Martin's walls and uh, had his sound captured by Martin's microphones. So um, that kind of uh, uh, th- that point I made earlier about, you know, leaving in the mistake or <laughs> accentuating it even because now we're bringing it up. We're really we're really oh, yeah. <laughs> in the mistake. Uh, but I, I think it was Martin who had first turned us on to that um that idea of the first record we were doing with him where we kind of like felt like, Ooh, you know, something had happened that wasn't planned, which, which oftentimes we're very happy about, but it was in a really like in a section we had refined over and over and we had wanted Martin to edit it out right away. And Martin had kind of sold us on this idea. Like that's there for a reason. Let's use it. Oh, so cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you wound up stumbling on the circus circus. Like I'm going to talk a little bit about Martin <laughs> right out of the gate, even though Martin didn't produce the new record. So it's already awkward, but uh, uh, that, that's how I do. I, I'm just going to talk and talk in circles. So hopefully you can rein me in no at problem. points. No problem. Uh, no problem. And, yeah, and- I'm, I'm we're I'm here kind to, of excitable. And we're here to talk about your whole career. We'll, you know, we All definitely right. wanted to talk about the new album, but I also want to know more about you guys, how you got started, um, and, and the journey that you guys have been on through Cinema Cinema and not Circus Circus, the Blackie Lawless pre-Wasp band. Yes. All right. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got started. Now, it's, it's your, your duo, and it's with your cousin, right? Yes. All right, yes. So how did you guys, there's a kind of an age gap. How did you guys hook up and, and yeah, as a band? I'll, I'll dive right in. Um, there is an age gap. Uh, there's a 10 year age difference between my cousin, Paul, the drummer and myself. And that actually, uh, you know, that really, I think winds up being really helpful in the long run. But I mean, I'll, I'll circle back around to that as it is. Yeah. There's a 10 gate, a 10 year age gap. Essentially, I started uh, my musical journey. Um, music became a very important part of my life at a really young age. Uh, it really started to serve um, some medicinal kind of qualities for me. The escape, the uh, the kind of um, the uh, the how do you say like the shield, the uh, the thing that kind of like uh, gets the joyless moment joyful. Uh, music was definitely something that was really, really important to me as a kid uh, with okay. whatever growing pains that I experienced. Uh, music was a friend that I could rely on. So I started my journey in trying to uh, get with whatever musicians I could find by the early 90s. Uh, I'm 41 years old. I was born in 1978. So oh, you're by a 19- baby. 
Oh well, Paul, who's ten years my <laughs> Paul, the drummer who's ten years my junior, is uh, thirty-one. So he's uh, he's the real baby. Man, uh, yeah, insane, right? But well, but, I'm, I'm <laughs> only a few years older than you, so. Okay, okay, yeah. It's interesting the thing with the thing with us too. Like when we had first gotten together, Paul and I, it was '08. Uh, and I was 29 and he was 19 and he was still underage in terms of the 21 and over clubs. Right. So we would get there early. Uh, we'd get all the stuff in and we would just like keep him in the club, like just stay inside. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> uh, that was like, you know, for the, the first like two years of the band and we were highly active right out of the gate. We started to tour a lot and learn by doing pretty much. Uh, but, but let me backtrack a little bit. I'd started, uh, in the, in the middle nineties, I'd started to seek out musicians. This was like pre internet, pre, uh, you know, social media, pre any of that stuff, pre cell phones, you know, you just kind of like went to school. And if there was another kid with long hair and like a motorhead <laughs> shirt, you had to try to angle in uh, awkward conversation and see like, maybe that person plays. Hey, nice you know, like, shirt. I like, uh, and you you play guitar, right? Yes, yes, I play guitar. And I, was in a band that play guitar and I sing. Was that the? Is that always been your instrument, or did you start off on anything else in school bands or anything like that? Uh, you know, um, what what I first really really started with was the idea of being a singer. I first like recognized uh -huh. I felt like I had a voice. Uh, this was before I even touched an instrument. Um, I uh, that kind of you know like anyone else singing along to. To music in the mirror, screaming in the shower, etc. Yeah. It was just kind of there was this kind, of, yeah, there was this kind of connectivity uh, that that would occur where I could just kind of felt as if I could really harness a power uh, there. I didn't know that I was particularly tuneful, although you know, I mean, we're all our own biggest fans. But oh, yeah. you know, at, at a young age, at first, uh, I really aspired mostly um, to be like a vocalist, lyricist, etc. So okay. I would say that, in all honesty, my first instrument was definitely voice. And then in in junior high school, I wound up in band class, one of those um, kind of elective, um, you know, like two or three periods out of the day are like maybe um, music or gym, and then the rest of the regular. Um, regular curriculum. But yeah, I wound okay. up in a band class and I wound up playing trumpet. And at the time it wasn't the most rock and roll instrument. And I hadn't known about, <laughs> I didn't know about Miles Davis. I didn't know about oh, jazz yeah. yet, but I thought, Oh wow. Well, I want to be a singer and trumpet will help with my wind. Oh, that's so like, it interesting. Was, I, yeah. I kind of like took to it, um, you know, like, and, and stuck with it a bit, but, um, I was always kind of wanting to create a whole song kind of like I, I, it started off with wanting to be a singer feeling I had a voice, feeling I could write lyrics. Okay. okay. Then I'm learning a little trumpet in school. I can't really put together a uh, trumpet vocal piece. Or, I mean, maybe <laughs> had I had the proper technology, you know, like had I had like loop pedals and all kinds of stuff then and be went, been way ahead of the curve, maybe oh I could have, but, but I really, I really couldn't. That would have been so, amazing. It would have been, you know what, I'm thinking about it for future, a future endeavor. Some sort of trumpet vocal album would that be would insane. Be, but. My, my oldest daughter plays trumpet in, this, in a high school marching band. My, my youngest daughter plays French horn, and my son plays the tuba. Oh, wow. So you have, you can... I got the whole brass can, section. Yeah, you can put a whole brass display on it uh, anytime you want there. That's, yeah. uh, this is a noisy yeah. house. I was going to say earplugs. Yeah. Earplugs suggested. <laughs> earplugs suggested. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, you know what it was? I, I had really, I was yearning to be able to create like a song. So in my mind, mm -hmm. I would need to acquire a guitar and learn how to play guitar. And, um, I wound up asking for one for one of those birthdays, like seventh or eighth grade. And it sat there for a while. 
And then what happened was um, I reconnected uh, with my father. He had been out of my life and he came, he drifted back into my life around the age of 14 okay. in 1992. And um, he, for his profession, he was an artist, like um, you know, car- uh, a cartoonist. But he also was, oh, had wow. always been a guitar player. Uh, and so when he kind of uh, when we reconnected, uh, I drew upon the relationship rekindling by um, you know like basically throwing it out there like, would you teach me to play? So mm-hmm. I, I've never took like um, like like lessons per se from like someone that I went to on a weekly basis who was showing me theory and stuff. But my father on like a weekly basis, we got together and he showed me basically the ins and outs of stuff. And then um, by showing me some songs to start with, uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, which at the time was, uh, you know, covered by Guns N' Roses, yeah. obviously origin- originally the Bob Dylan song, etc. But I had like, uh, you know, it was it was I had like reference material right in my collection. If I didn't have the Dylan version, I had the Guns N' Roses version at that point, And it made me go back and look up and look into Dylan. So it started to open me up immediately. And then also he taught me how to play Wild Horses by the Stones, which oh, involved. Wow. Yeah. And involved like uh, a bar chord, which was like big to not just play open chords, but bar chords right. as well. So that was kind of like a bridge for me. And that also opened me up to checking out the Stones, you know, and, and so. Uh, at then I just kind of ran away with it. Once I kind of knew some chords and knew how to play, it was just trying to figure out how to make up my own stuff with it more or less. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like how I stumbled into, um, into the guitar being my main instrument with vocals. I would then go on to bounce around in and out of bands for years and years. And now, as we mentioned earlier, my cousin Paul is 10 years younger than me. So in 1994, when I'm 16 starting my first band he's six so he's very you know he's like playing with teenage boot ninja turtles and like you know in you know dreamland and so it's like at that point obviously the age gap it plays a big uh uh, you know part in the story like we couldn't possibly play but as still too young to go into the clubs yeah still still, a little too young um but as time would progress forward uh it gave me the time over the next like 10 years or so to try to start bands with all the different people I would meet who, who, who could play and, and have the continued kind of like, um, kind of not really getting to where I wanted to be with each one of those band experiences. Uh, but, but having it not kind of deter me, but you know, making me see like, Oh, it's a lot harder than I think. Like I, like I used to think like, you know, if everything lines up just right, then like a lot of people will find out about your music. And it's really not that. I've said this before. Really, it takes everything to line up just right, just for you to find another person or a few other people to even make some music, let alone try to then like spread it and share it and go and do uh, the work of, of being an artist out in this world. It's really not that simple. And, and you know, a lot of people are, are big in their passion for music. But when it comes down to actually like the, the brass tacks and really – kind of grinding it out people don't really stick around too much and also i kind of had a really i really wanted to play music like in all 50 states and i was mostly i, I was a, a first goal like just tour 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 america and oh, most cool. of the individuals yeah most of the individuals that i was playing with them more like you know they, they, they wanted to play because they loved it but like something like that wasn't really in the cards for them playing local shows that we could get a lot of people to on some weekends, you know, which is nice, which is which is great, was more of their prerogative, maybe. Whereas, so you want to you want to go fifty states? They're like happy staying in the five boroughs. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm not to say that there's anything wrong with either of those views, but as as I was approaching the end of my twenties and the beginning of my thirties, it was becoming more of a real priority to me that I hadn't 
really done that yet with my music. I had played in bands on and off for 10 or 11 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. I had played gigs that were fun. I had, you know, done stuff, had a song on a compilation, all, you know, all the, 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 the oh, mild cool. stuff that you do when you're in a band, when you're in bands as you're starting. But yeah. Hadn't done any of the stuff that I really, really, really dreamt of, you know, hadn't like, you know, like really pushed the envelope sonically and really been free with sound, hadn't gone and like toured and gone out of state and gone all around, hadn't done any of that stuff. And what happened was uh, in 2008, uh, I was at a bit of like a crossroads where it was kind of like, you know, make up your mind about what you're going to do time um, right. in my mind, at least, uh, I, I was in a relationship, uh, that was not really working and it was, we weren't really on the same page, me and my partner at the time. Um, and everything in my life was kind of pointing in the direction of like music, not really being the priority. And I wasn't happy with that, you know? So okay. I made a change and I got out of that relationship and I changed some other things in my life. And I decided, um, you know, as my twenties were ending and my thirties were beginning, like I was going to make music my priority that's it. So I wasn't really necessarily going to, you really walked the walk, man. You, you, you decided this is what I'm going to do. The relationship is over because it's not letting me do the music. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, it had, it had to come to an end. It was a, uh, an eight year relationship and it was the wrong relationship for, for a while. And it, it started to block me from doing things. And I'm sure it was blocking the other person from doing their things. So, Rather than just like, um, you know, kind of progress forward in a, in a scenario that didn't work, uh, made a major life change, got out of that. And right at that time, um, I started playing with Paul. And that was in the beginning of 2008. Uh, and within the first six months of Paul and I playing together, I would wind up meeting my current partner um, who does all the artwork for the band and does so many other things in her life. Awesome. She's a designer and an artist herself. But like my life just started to open up in this different way. As soon as Paul and I started playing together, nine months into playing together, Paul and I had started uh, the, the journey in touring and playing out of town. And then we, we really got bit by the bug by doing our first uh, big out of town show this cincinnati show at the midpoint music festival which was like this 12 hour drive we couldn't believe we were going to drive that far to do a gig <laughs> we had never we had never done a tour yet we had only done lo- local stuff so we didn't book any shows before or after we like literally drove oh, wow. 12 hours to do a gig and back but it was kind of like one of That's those like awesome, you know though. yeah yeah it was one of those things like it was it was how we learned a Next time we should book a gig the night before halfway yeah. along the way. I mean, come on. And yeah. B, it was also like we realized we had a lot of fun doing that crazy little endeavor. It didn't seem stupid or crazy or cockamamie. It seemed like right on the money. And we we, we got bit by the bug and that was uh like late oh eight and um we just kind of went haywire after that in terms of really throwing ourselves into it. In two thousand nine we did a hundred gigs alone wow. that year. Um, which uh, is, 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 is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we drove two different cars that we owned into the ground during that time. And then, but from <laughs> doing all that running around, we wound up starting, we started to wind up meeting people on our little voyages. Uh, and that's how we wound up working with Donzi and Tara, who is a producer based in Arlington, Virginia, right on the border of Washington, D.C. He runs Inner Ear Studios. That Inner is Ear not Studios too far is- from where I'm sitting right now. Oh, really? Well, Inner Ear Studios is where essentially almost everything that Discord Records uh, ever put out was recorded. All yeah. the Fugazi albums, yeah. uh, the Shutter to Think albums. Legendary. Uh, I mean, everything. So we met Don out there along the way. We wound up recording with him in 2011. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, we wound up 
meeting Greg Ginn, uh, the founder of SST yeah, Records, I've and definitely got some the leader of Black Flag. And he ultimately wound up uh, doing a bunch of touring with us, and we wound up on the Black Flag tour as time went on. I mean, th- all this stuff, I-, I mentioned those two individuals, and I'm happy to elaborate further on them in some at some point if you have any direct questions. But I yeah. only mention them because these were the fruits – you know, to, to, to use the term, these were the fruits of like climbing that tree of like going where you're, you know, where you haven't gone, going far enough away from the shore that you can't see the shore anymore. Yeah, you know, like exactly. not just playing the safe Saturday night, third weekend of the month. All our friends are going to be there. It's fish in a barrel gig. Yeah. It's like going out there into the world and meeting the experiences in the moment. That's what wound up yielding all these different opportunities for Paul and myself as Cinema Cinema. Uh, not circus circus. <laughs> so we, sorry, I couldn't resist no, that. I couldn't right. resist it. It was just ripe. It was, it was, a, it was, it was a, a bit of low hanging fruit. I'll tell you that. that you just, you, Mark, you just nailed it. It was that bit of low hanging fruit. I couldn't pass it. I'm sorry. So how I'm did, sorry. how did you and, and, and Paul start playing together? There is a, a gap there. Were you guys close growing up, even with the, the age difference? Well, I mean, the, the, the real deep story of how we started playing together, it, it's interesting. Um, Paul's father, because uh, he's my cousin, Paul's father is my uncle, <laughs> uh, which, you know, that's how it works with, you know, I mean, yeah. just, just, you know, basic family 101, I, in case anyone wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> I'm glad no, we're doing I'm, I'm that. Just, Laying the yeah, foundations but, there for. Yeah, yeah. Let, 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 let me dial it in. So ultimately, Paul's father's my uncle. He's my my mother's brother. Um, my father met my mother because he was friends with Paul's father. So ultimately back in like the seventies, there was a guy named Evan Gold and that's my father. And there was a guy named Paul Claro and that's Paul's father. They were really good friends. They played in a band together and it wound up not really going anywhere. And ultimately because they were friends, my father met his friend, Paul's sister, uh, Virginia and boom, I was born. So, uh, and then, you know, as years went on, 10 years later, Paul had a son named Paul and my cousin Paul was born. So now here we are in the same family and it's uh, a semi, you know, somewhat of a musical family. As I said, my father and his father had played together, um, in a band, et cetera. Uh, and so, uh, as time progresses on, uh, and I'm 10 years older than obviously. So like we're at, we're at like holiday stuff together, but he's yeah. really young and I'm a teen. And then like, I'm starting my first band and I could tell he's like kind of interested. And then I find out he's taking up drums and I'm really like, you know, thrilled for him. And there's, you know, there, we do have some track of each other as time moves forward, but there isn't really an idea that we play together. And what kind of ties it together is this in 2007, it was a year before we started the band together. Uh, my uncle, Paul's father, who he's always, um, like I said, he, he's been a, a musician on and off all along, you know, his whole life as well. Um, he was, he had finally decided to take some of his songs, my uncle Paul, Paul's father, to a studio. To, to Yeah, as I, I have to keep on clarifying this. It's like, I, you know, like what what is going on in this world? Which Paul, um, what, what, which guy? Yeah, like, like there's a lot, there's a lot. Yeah. So, um, so my uncle, Paul's father, uh, I'll repeat. Uh, had decided to take some of his songs into a studio no, wait, to record. Before yeah, we go ahead. any further, their band wasn't Circus Circus, was it? You, you know what? That was, see, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice, nice callback there. I like that. I like how you walked that back in. I, I like it. That. 
yeah, I, I, it wasn't circus circus, but oh my god, if it was, we would we would have, we would have just hit jackpot. That would have been amazing. Um, yeah, it would have been jackpot. Um, but uh, anyway, so my uncle Paul had decided in uh, fall of '07 that he wanted to go into a studio and record some of his uh, songs that he had written over the years after not like doing music for a while. Okay. And he had asked me uh, and his son Paul if we'd go with him to contribute like to back up the songs. Oh, cool. And, you know, because we both love him and we're all family, uh, like we was like, yeah, let's let's do this. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I mean, essentially coming together to do that project, um, which was kind of, you know, like a passion project for for, our, for my uncle um, in the studio. Paul and I, um, we realized there like, oh, hang on. There's a bit of a chemistry here because we kind of didn't rehearse this stuff with with with, you know, my uncle slash his father. But we could kind of listen and intuitively play uh, along by just hearing the song, you know, like just bits of the song. Like it just it really kind of came together nicely. And the little recording that my uncle made sounded good and, and he was proud of it. And moreover, uh, I started to uh, very quickly. The whole ten-year difference in our age was peeled away. I think on both my behalf and Paul's behalf. Maybe Paul had thought Ev's a little bit older. It would be cool to play with him, but I'm not sure. And I definitely yeah. thought he's ten years younger. I don't know about this, but yeah. once we went into the studio that day, we knew when we walked away from the studio, something was definitely there. So uh, about six months later was when I had kind of hit that point in my life where I knew that I needed to pursue my music um you know with 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 the ferocity i had not done yet since right. uh and at that point I, I i asked paul if he was interested in jamming and he was like what were you waiting for you oh, know wow. we, you know yeah so and we got together and when we got together we had intended uh to you know eventually find a bass player we weren't just going to automatically be a duo because we're cousins but right. you know like we, we got together for the first time in a room uh january 11th 2008 and we plugged everything in and without much conversation, we just kind of spilled into this really natural jam uh, that felt really good. And suddenly the space that we thought needed to be filled by other um, instruments and other individuals seemed to all evaporate with the energy and the chemistry that would happen when Paul and I would play. So we, we decided that night uh, that, you know, we were going to be uh, the core of the band would be that we're a duo of cousins. This is what we do. And that's when I started to build my pedal board and he started to arrange his drums a little different so we can continue to, to, to fill space and, and, you know, eat up um, air and area where <laughs> other musicians might uh, contribute. So that was how the, uh, the start came to be. Um, okay. Paul, Paul had been playing drums for a while before that and I've been doing my thing for a while, but it was just like the right time and circumstance had to, occur, uh, had to occur. And that was in, January of 2008. Well, the, the sound of the band is incredibly dense and ferocious, and I can't believe it's only two people making all that noise. Has it was it always the intent to go that route? I mean, I mean the the, the sound, not necessarily just the, the duo, um, since you just explained that that wasn't the case. But 
that was the sound always going to be the sound that it is now and the sound that it's developed into? Well, I, I'm going to say that, you know, I mean, in terms of the overall sound and what we do, uh, you know, luckily it continues to reveal itself to us. So it continues to evolve in such a way that I can't say that we knew on day one that we were going to sound exactly like we do. I can say that the attitude that has prompted us to sound like we do was there. And that was an attitude of like, together, we feel really strong. We feel kind of fearless. We could go anywhere with this. And also uh, fixed into that attitude, you know, stemming off of that feeling was uh, we observed other duos or some of the other duos at the time. This is going, I mean, there are plenty of duos now, but going back 12 years, not that there were, there were plenty of duos then, but it seemed as though most duos, they would, they would kind of choose a lane and go for it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel, you, you know, like, I mean, cho- choose a, cer- a certain shtick or a certain genre or a certain sound and own that thing. And, and, and you got it. You're good. You know I mean? What we, what we really wanted to do, it was, it was kind of a, it was a conscious decision. We did not want to limit ourselves as, as a duo to just like being like, yo, we can do a heavy blues thing. Great. Let's just do that. Like, yeah, or, you know, black keys we can do, sound or... yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, or yo, we can do an absolute straight up heavy metal, insane thing. Like, 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 I, I don't know who I'm just saying like, like Jusifer right, right. or like uh, lightning bolt. I mean, these are all amazing duos, but we definitely said like, we want to be able to achieve all the stuff that a five or 10 or six or four or any piece band could achieve. We don't want to be limited to like, well, we don't do that kind of thing, you know? And so, I mean, we definitely, in terms of the sound being what it is, um, it, it continues to grow and evolve, but, but yes, we came out of the gate with this idea. Like we want to be able to achieve what any other band could achieve and do so, uh, by just having it be two guys, two heartbeats, four eyes, four pairs of hands, the whole nine yards, however you want to do that math to do sit down. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it, it wasn't until um, not to kind of uh, branch off, but the, the, the new album uh, in is kind of us in a trio uh, format and us in a trio iteration, if you would, if you oh, uh, okay. use that term. Well, they, we have a guest on the new album. Um, so. Okay. That's uh, that's kind of um, well, we have a get. Yeah, that's not brand new as he guested for a few songs on the last album. But this might make um, some better sonic sense to you, depending upon, uh, you know, I guess maybe this uh, this state of your um, getting to know cinema cinema. I don't know what you've did, what, how far you've dived back into or dove rather back into the catalog. <laughs> but um, you know, this album is the first one that includes. Um, like wind instrumentation on uh, on the full album on every song we had had um we had had a guest on our 2017 album man bites dog uh named matt dario uh he is a uh he's just a wind master he's a reed connoisseur he's just like i mean his his bag of tricks is extremely extremely varied um you know uh from you know i just I mean, these all these interestingly named wind instruments, not just, you know, it's, it's, it's the saxophone is when he wants to get boring. You know, oh, I mean, wow. he has lots of different. Yeah, he has lots of different stuff that he's, he's collected over time. Uh, Matt, he's uh, he's in a number of different um, a number of different outfits. The, probably maybe the most the, the, the most well-known one that he's in is one called the Klezmatics. They're a world band uh, Grammy Award winning act. Wow. Um, he's also, yeah, he's also in a, in a, he has his own, um, 
a couple of his other own bands. He has uh, Disastro Totale, Disastro Totale, I believe, and that's with a accordion player named Yuri, who's in Gogo Bordello. And then oh, he also has him. Paradox. Paradox Trio is another one of his bands, which actually is a quartet uh, that is just an absolutely potent force of musicians. Yeah, wow. Dario is really interesting. So um, we uh, he, we came across each other through uh, good mutual friends about maybe five years or so ago. And it was okay. right around the time when Paul and I were first starting to open up to the idea of potentially – uh, opening that door to a collaborator, to like a, to a, a third point on the triangle or on the triforce or a third wheel on the trike. We were just kind of starting to open up to that idea. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, so ultimately um, when we got together with Matt, um, Matt comes more from the jazz and world um you know, uh, music, um, scene. So his, uh, his approach, you know, is one of like, we'll show up and play, you know, like not like, uh, you know, sit down and, 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 and write it out. Just let's just show up and play. And we really liked that idea because improv has been a very, very, very big part of what Paul and I do as cinema cinema since the beginning. Um, yeah, I've, I've we, seen that you've you've described the band as uh, punk improvisation, and uh, it has in other publications the band has been described as experimental punk. Um, yeah. So <laughs> now for me, I, I'm I not huge into punk. Um, so I don't. To me, punk is is usually ends up being a shorter song. So. I, how did you guys decide to to stretch it out and become punk improvisation? And how how did you make those things work together? Yeah, well, that's that's interesting. Well, I think with with in terms of the punk stuff, because um, I guess I guess maybe it, it's one of those things where it's like separating the term punk from actual like what's what's associated as punk, punk music. Right, the maybe. punk ethos I, it's from kind of, the music itself. Yeah, like the punk ethos is what I think it really is what's associated a bit more with our overall approach in that like rules are stuff that we do not play by, you know I mean? So I don't, I think it's a little bit less like, um, the idea of, uh, of punk rock, like Ramones, um, which is of course something I think of immediately with punk rock, exactly. which is short, short, fast, really cool songs or even hardcore punk, which is even shorter. Uh, of course we're fans of those. We love those, but those things do fall f- Far, pretty far sonically from what we actually do at our core. Whereas I feel like the spirit of those things, which is just like uh, individuality and, and, and being unique. And again, like, I mean, not just breaking the rules to break them, but not breaking them because like who needs these rules? They're not even going through your mind, you know? Like, right. so I think the, the punk ethos is, is really kind of really uh, has its fingerprints all over what we do. Yeah, especially um, the do-it-yourself part of the yeah. punk. Yes, one hundred percent. I mean, um, uh, the 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 whole hardcore movement and Black Flag and SST Records and Fugazi and Minor Threat and Discord Records and those being started by individuals in those bands who like built it from the ground up, the do-it-yourself stuff. That was, you know, everything that we bred all of our early goings on kind of lives there that kind of like believe in yourself and do it don't sit around and wait get up off your couch and meet the moment the moment ain't gonna meet you on the couch exactly you know we learned that from those bands and we love those bands but in terms of our overall sound and and stuff and it being kind of um experiment uh, experimental 
punk or experimental or punk improv or jazz punk or, or, or all the different things that I've heard it be called. And, and I've even maybe made use of some of those terms myself. Um, I think it's really kind of like uh, all that stuff is just shorthand for the amount of freedom that we're willing to put right in the middle of what we do and the amount of vulnerability that we're not share, we're not scared to share. I think that's kind of stuff that really speaks to me in music. Uh, it's like less about polish and more about like, does this thing move me? Uh, I think okay. when Paul and I first started playing, um, the whole improv thing was just we, we found we were able to really uh, communicate with the instruments. I mean, it's just this thing where like he's a really great, great listener as a drummer. He's a really, really great writer as a drummer he's a very lyrical drummer paul he's just can kind of keep beat while shifting in and out of area and it's just i, I haven't played or heard many drummers like him i'm fortunate to play with him so he really opens up this door for me to not worry so much and, and explore uh, however i would so see fit and the beautiful thing being cousins and being like each other's like cheerleader and biggest fan and also like pretty much best friend because we've been through so much in doing this we don't put limitations on the other i've been in other bands where like egos and attitudes and like you know well that part should be a little bit shorter like that stuff yeah. you know like <laughs> like get, get the get out of my eyes with that get out of my <laughs> face with that we don't deal with that you know we're not aiming for something we're doing what comes to us you know so right, i mean right. you know like i think it kind of like it kind of flows through us in such a way that it can't help but come out a little wacko, crazy and insane, not unlike life. And, you know, and it's it has like, you know, like I said, that punk ethos, that quality, that's that tagline that's on it. I would never like like here, here's a little uh, anecdote. Mm -hmm. We were we wound up on um, on tour. We wound up. We were invited to open up. Uh, <laughs> just, the it just happened. Yeah, you know, I just well, I woke up in Kentucky on the third leg of a Deep Purple reunion tour. Richie Blackmore wouldn't do it. I'm not. Maybe with Steve Morse on guitar. So the roadie called. No, no, it's it's not like that. Let's get back to reality. Sorry. No um, so in twenty in twenty fourteen, we were invited to do um, a fifty five date tour uh, with Black Flag. Uh, they were doing a reunion nice. of sorts. Greg Ginn, uh, Greg Ginn essentially was going to be the sole member, and there was a new singer and new rhythm section. So it wasn't so much a reunion as a, um, you know, as a dancing out the the name of the band with the main guy. You know, right. so all yeah. all good. I'm uh, not gonna, you know, I, I, I was very happy to be a part of the tour, proud to have done our best and played really hard on the tour and made good impressions. So I can't really, uh, ex, you know, like really go out there on record with anything else other than love for it all. So, oh, yeah, but yeah. that's what it was. Essentially, it was, you know, the sole member of, you know, the sole creator of Black Flag and, and some other people. Uh, and we were on that tour all across the country nationally opening. Uh, and it wow. was a, a great, great experience. Now, as I, I say that, um, you know, we had been around the country before and we had been to a lot of places before, but this, this really brought us all the way fanned out and also brought us into playing some rooms that were way larger than rooms that we would play on our own. So we were grateful for that. And it, it put us in this really cool scenario of we'd be in some places where they've never heard of us at all. And they're standing there with their arms folded, looking at us like, who are these two guys from Brooklyn opening up for black <laughs> like flag? Places like Kentucky. 
Yeah, 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 sure, sure. Uh, places like Kentucky, places like actually Louis, the story I'm about to tell you is, is about Louisiana. Oh, cool. And, you know, and I have no problem with any of these states. I, I, I've had great times in Kentucky and Louisiana and a lot of other places uh, in America, most of them. Whenever I go somewhere to play music, I wind up interacting with a counterculture that's filled with people that I learn a lot from and people that are generally pretty giving and kind. Oh, uh, yeah. Punks and metal people wind up being like some of the nicest, kindest people you'll ever meet, period. Uh, but so anyway, we wind up, we wind up, I wake up on this tour. <laughs> I wake up on the tour bus, night 62. Yeah. I don't know it's where I've been for the 61 nights beforehand. Yeah, I've seen a million faces. I rocked about seven. <laughs> so, no, but, but, but anyway, so uh, what happens is here we are, this crazy punk metal experimental jazz gypsy freak, whatever the hell they call us. I don't even know what it is at this point. <laughs> Improv, wacko jacko, I don't know. I, I think you know, cinema, I mean, cinema is just going to be a genre in it, of itself. It, it could be. I mean, to me, it sounds like mainstream top 40, but that's just me. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I – we're in Louisiana and, uh, it's, uh, um, it winds up being a, it's a, it's a great show. It's, it's not in new Orleans. Uh, forgive me for forgetting this, for forgetting the city, uh, at the moment off the top of my head, I want to say Lafayette, but I know there's a Lafayette, Indiana. I'm not sure if there's a Lafayette, Louisiana, I, I can't recall, is. but anyway, I think it might've been Lafayette to be honest with you. It was a big college town. We were playing the, this nice, uh, you know, thousand seat hall, etc. So, we go and we do our thing. And now, like I said, we're this weird, wacko band. There's a punk sensibility, sure. But like Black Flag is one of the bands that people, when they think of punk, they think of like certain, I mean, later Black Flag definitely expanded and definitely oh, yeah. grew and got strange and very much influenced us late Black Flag. But early Black Flag, people think of the short, quick songs. They think of punk. They imagine the opening band is going to be something that's quote unquote punk. So what happened was, we go, uh, you know, and, and uh, we, we, we do the set in Louisiana and this is well into the tour and we've been getting received really well all over. And, and we were received really well in Louisiana. It was this great thing, like I said, where people are kind of like staring at us like, what are you going to do? And we got the <laughs> chance to show them exactly what we were going to do. So it was really kind of this really fun, like um, little bit of a. Um, a sparring match each night where, like, would we win them or would we not? So it was really fun, and, and we learned a lot of our stagecraft via the uh, performance anxiety that's involved with that. Ooh, See, I'll nice. drop in the title. I like it. I will drop the title. Elegant, low-hanging fruit right there. Exactly. Anyway, Subtle. So, Nobody's going to notice but, uh, that. Yeah. But anyway, so our, our thing every night was this. As soon as we finished our set, we drag our stuff to the side of the stage immediately so it's out of the way. And we would beeline to our merch table while we're still sweating and like still like affected the people that are there and like pray to sell our merch because doing a 55 plus show tour means you quit your day job to do that. Didn't yeah. you? Oh yeah. That's part of what Paul and I did to wow. go on tour for four months with black flag. You quit your job. Yeah. So, um, then something that maybe in 1995, that's like, Oh, quit your job, go on a tour. You're going to get somewhere. In 2014, yeah, try it. You know, let's see. Let, let let's see what your level of commitment is then. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, uh, he, here we are. We debt, you know, and, and and you know, we're relying on making money off the merch. We get a fee each night that we get paid for being on this tour, and our travel and our expense, uh, you know, our sleeping expenses are taken care of via the tour. But we we have to make our money on merch, so we yeah. run to that merch table every night, and we are ready to become happy, smiling salesmen to anyone <laughs> who will come over and say, 
yo, that was cool. So in Louisiana, we run straight to the merch table. And now, like, we're dripping. We just finished playing. You know, oh, like, yeah. I mean, this, you know, like, and, and we we really try to leave it all up there. We try to play every gig like it's our last. We're not just, like, up there strumming along, like, oh, tonight's the night. It's chill. Like, we're <laughs> trying to literally we're hoping one of us ends our life that night on stage, you know, by, by the strength of the performance alone, not by some sort of crazy murder. But we're trying to push it. So we run. Yeah, please, no murder. No, Save please. that. Um, oh, God. But anyway, we run to the merch table and, you know, we sell some merch and it's going well. And then this guy comes to the merch table, looks, walks straight up to us, you know, and like looks us square in the face. And he's like, y'all call yourself punk? Uh, and I was like, you know, I, I just was like, excuse me. He's like, you guys call yourself punk rock. I want to know why. And uh, I, I'm sorry if I'm if I'm not doing the proper um, accent. I, I don't need to offend anybody. I don't really have any certain good um, accents down to, <laughs> to impersonate a jerk off. Um, so. You know, just think of your best jerk off accent and apply it here. All right. So uh, but, you know, I mean, this guy, you know, he wanted to take his time to come over and make sure he got his point across to the opening band that he thought it was fraudulent in some way, shape or form that the word punk was even associated with us because mm. what he had seen wasn't punk, etc. So for individuals who are kind of stuck in that kind of small box, I mean, uh, there wasn't much that we could o offer him. Uh, you know, like I, I, right. I thanked him for his comments. I assured him that I never at any point got on a soapbox and screamed out that I am punk rock and that we are punk rock music, that maybe it's been used to describe us along the way, but I'm already getting too far into a conversation with a jerk off. Right. But, right. You know, so it's just, you know what I mean? But like, we've had that kind of like, what, you know, like no matter where we go or, or what we've done, you know, like, I mean, and that's why it's like, if we, had, if we, if you generally, if you stick with one genre, it, it serves you. Like if we would just stick with metal type stuff. Then all the metal zines and metal peeps and metal labels would want to put us out. But half the metal people are like, this isn't metal. But then the punk people are like, this isn't punk. And these jazz people are like, is, is this jazz? You know? So <laughs> we find that, you know, like, as long as we're making the music that we know we care about, then we don't care about anyone else's need to label it or try to figure out what it is. But it has it. We have found that it's it's been confusing at times to some. Uh, you know, we're sorry if you don't get the message. <laughs> we're, we're still figuring it out as we go. Oh, you see, know? that's the beauty of it, though. It's it's ever evolving, and it's to me in going back and listening to some of your your back catalog. There, it seems like this the music on the new album is less structured than some of the earlier stuff that you've done. Uh, it was that done on purpose or is that just, and I, I guess it, it leads to the other, another question that I have, which is, do you guys go into the studio with songs pre planned and demoed and you've got an idea or is there a lot of experimentation in the studio? Well, that's a good question. Thank you for that. And uh, a good uh, y y discerning ear, because uh, undoubtedly the new album, the CCXMD album, <clears throat> which is an interesting title. I want to ask you about that eventually, because it looks like Roman numerals, but it doesn't work out as Roman numerals. I think. It'd be, yeah, it, it, exactly. It looks like Roman numerals, but that do it don't work out. <laughs> no, it yeah, comes so out to like negative twelve hundred and ninety. Yeah. I, 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 w I wish that it was a it was a play on some sort of insane ancient Fibonacci sequence number <laughs> equal to pi times eleven. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the name is a play on 
um, our name, Cinema Cinema, and Matt Dario, the uh, the third wheel on our trike uh, for this uh, endeavor, um, being that he was a guest on our 2017 album for a song or two, but we invited him for this album to be a guest on the entire album. So it was kind of uh, for the first time taking uh, taking a swing at making a record in trio form uh, and just allowing ourselves as Cinema Cinema to suddenly have that kind of um, – open door of like maybe there's an album where we have a few other players with us you okay. know like uh you know like i mean i i, I know like i know michael girard of swans he's in a he's like in a point where he's changing the people that are in swans right now but it's yeah. still swans i know that back 10 years ago i i went to see modest mouse and that tour johnny marr was in the band for that one album you know like yeah. so I, I, by no means do i mean to mention titans like jira or johnny marr and, and modest mouse <laughs> but we did want to kind of get into that area or even like similar to like melvin's they'll have like different bass players or they'll have like maybe one album where they have two bass players a la their most recent one of their more recent albums so we kind of wanted to get into that area of like cinema cinema is this thing that not only can, can it not be defined by genre but um but you don't even you're not really even sure what's going on. We, we kind of like creating that kind of uh, mystique. I mean, mystique is definitely gone in the music uh, world nowadays. Yeah. You can kind of go online and find out every single thing about the band before you even hear a song to the point that you might not even need to listen if you found out enough of the information because maybe you turned off back in the That's day. Like, interesting you didn't, point. Yeah, back in the day, you didn't know. No. You know, like, I didn't know. I heard Sex Pistols when I was a little kid. I was like, what is this? Yeah. You know, like, I couldn't just look up, like, you know, Johnny Rodden, a.k.a. John Lydon, and he's this and he's that, and he's married to this, and he's this, and he's this, and he's this tall, and he wears this size pants, and he had a shoe size that was this. In yeah. seventh grade, he had that. Like, by this point, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care yeah, anymore. But anyway, exactly. um, we kind of wanted to, you know, kind of reinstate that element for us, at least of some sort of mystique, like you're not really sure what's coming. And so to get to get to kind of answering the question on on all the previous records before now, we had undoubtedly um, spent high time refining ideas, high time working on songs editing things down editing when you're when you're young as a band it's hard to self-edit if you really believe oh, every imagine. single song every lyric is great yeah you know and then you know you've started to realize oh editing is important oh having conversations oh having this having that so the previous albums before this definitely were chock full of that kind of process undoubtedly mm -hmm. um this one was the first one where um we made a concerted decision to uh Eschew, eschew uh, that nice. um, approach. Yeah, I'll use something there. I'm trying yeah. to, to, to just, you know, to, to sidestep that approach entirely. We wanted to, um, you know, like uh, capture w what happened that night. And if it if we felt there was a musical value, then it was going to be released. And if we didn't, then it would be shelved. But it was worth doing an entire gamble on a session. That's how we kind of looked at it this way. We had played with Matt Dario a number of times, um, you know, basically doing gigs as just entirely improv. Like the gig is on the 26th at nine o'clock. Uh, are you down? Okay, we're down. We'll see you there. And wow. we, then we just would show up and play. We had done that with him a couple of times. So we said, you know what, let's attempt to capture this. And if we don't, we'll know that we didn't because it's not going to really hit that 
spot. I mean, when you're the creator, like it's really hard to give birth to the to the piece as it is, even when you've spent time and effort and like real thought and analyzation, mind boggling, you know, juice on it. It's hard to part with it and put it out when you've really refined it, written it. I mean, when you've mm-hmm. just done it in the moment, some people might think of it in a more dismissive way, like, well, well, what is that? You know, like what kind of work is that? But we weren't going to release it unless we really felt that it kind of touched on some sort of um, paths and, and like a uh, value that we needed the music to trot upon and kind of uh, get to. Uh, and we, we sat on the recording for a while. We were a little bit unsure um, oh, really? because we, well, we came from that. We, we, we come from a world of most of the records, you know, are based on more on structured songwriting. With that said, each one of our previous records does include an entirely improv piece. If you do go back and listen to anything, we have something called the Shiner series. If you go to Man Bites Dog, there's Shiner number five. On A Night at the Fights, it's Shiner number four. On Manic Children and the Slow Aggression, it's Shiner number three. Right, right, yeah. Every, every, every album, we do a song that we create right then, and we call it Shiner, and we number it. So we started that as uh, as a tribute to how heavily um, um, heavily important our improv elements mean to us. With our very first album in 2008, we started that Shiner series. So we've mixed in improv before. We, we've, we've gone into the studio and said, OK, we're paying for the studio time, but we trust ourselves so much that we're willing to go ahead and risk and gamble and see what we get. And each time we wound up walking away with something we were happy with. So this time we decided, let's do a whole album like that. and maybe. It'll just yield one piece that's releasable. Maybe we, we won't put it out. And we went in, and ultimately the session that, that yielded CCXMD actually yielded a second album. There's, uh, oh, I, really? I can say now, you know, not to break the news, but I mean, <laughs> I, I, I imagine that like, you know, 12 to 18 months from now, we might be talking again mm. because there's definitely CCXMD2. Uh, the session that we wow. went in to, to work on this material wound up it, – it, it just wound up like white hot on fire. We were really happy. And it started off with us just kind of talking with the instruments. And then the second part of the session, later in the night, we started to like discuss like, well, why don't we try to do something that's this vibe? Or why don't we attempt to create this? So we really wound up with, with a wealth of material and we edited it down and we even cut some of some songs that were like it was hard to tell which ones were really just mm, – but we, we cut it all the way down and still – by cutting it down, we have this album and there's another album of material. So okay. um, we felt strongly enough about it that, you know, after thinking on it for a while, we decided, yes, let's, let, let's move forward and have the next, uh, the next album in our series, in our catalog, in our overall, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, ongoing um journey uh, let's have it be this material let's have it be the stuff that was created in the moment that's entirely vulnerable that is not polished that makes a statement that for us it's us saying like we're done playing by any rules uh we don't want to be a part of anyone's little scene in a vacuum we don't want to be a part of like you know 
the people who are like hoping they get added to some local show for the big band coming through town and yeah. being friendly with the, the booker and trying to beg people to do this and trying to like purposely make an album sound like this. And it's the heaviest thing. And because we're just done doing what everyone else has done a million times. Like we right. can't waste any more time. Like life is way too short. And, and the thing, the thing that really clicked for us a few years ago is when we realized like, Oh, we're no longer doing the band with the goal. Like we're doing the band because of the um, because of the therapeutic value of the band. That's when things clicked. That's, That's I mean, I, I would say it was after that Black Flag tour that we quit our jobs for. That we, we played all over and we did bigger shows than ever. And of course, that helped us to meet some other people and open some other doors. We've done like six European tours. We've, wow done a bunch of stuff that we're really thrilled to have gotten a chance to do but i mean what happened was somewhere as like some of those quote-unquote slightly bigger fun things were happening for us we realized like oh yeah like nothing it's not like you go through a doorway and everything changes once you've done some kind of thing you don't hit a plateau and things are different it's just life you know so that's when we started to realize oh we, we're not doing the band to get someplace. We're doing the band to make being here on earth bearable. And that's when it was like, oh, okay, cool. So we don't got to worry about like when we're going to have this happen in our career or when that's going to happen. We're just going to do this. And once we started to just do it, that's when like it, it's just started to really be a loose fitting garment. It really started to feel comfortable. And that's when, you know, going ahead and making a record in, without a plan you know, laboring over whether or not we felt it was strong enough coming to the realization it was as strong or stronger than anything else we did yeah. and proudly putting it out is uh, is a really happy place to be in. And and behind the scenes, as we speak with this album just about to come out, not only do we have a second album in its series, but we're also working on another collaborative affair uh, oh behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, a gentleman named Thor Harris who um, plays in numerous bands. Swans uh, is one of the bands that he okay. plays in. I was going to say, that uh, he has, sounds familiar. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, consult Google, um, and <laughs> it, it, it'll yield the results. Uh, I don't know. He might have He might have done a short stint in Circus Circus, but um, hmm. you know, we, uh, now we're beating a dead horse. So you're not sure. You're not, you're not yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm not, we're going to have to consult it. Google. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but now but, you bring up a couple of points in in in, in what you just said, and uh, it, it really threw out a, a couple of questions for me, and, sure. and they're kind of all over the place. So I'll try to get Hit through me. them here. Now, yeah, yeah. All right. So you you said, and, and you've said this in the past that that uh, cinema cinema show to you it's it's kind of an exorcism of sorts for you guys. In listening and seeing some clips and hearing the new album, it's intense. Mm-hmm. Are there times, and you, you tour a lot, are there times for you when it's really hard to summon the energy to do uh, a live show with the intensity that, that you record and, and that a lot of people are expecting that when they see a Cinema Cinema show? Yeah, 
I'm going to say, and this might sound, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know how it sounds. Not There hasn't been a time yet that when it when it's quote unquote go time and like time for us to go ahead and do the thing that it doesn't absolutely snap, crackle, pop and flip out. I mean, Paul and I are so thrilled to play with each other. I, I can tell you. Uh, There's been numerous times when we're on the road where the level and amount of travel that we had just done, for instance, we had played in uh, August of 2016. We were in Europe doing a handful of small festivals. We were playing the G7 Festival in Hamburg at Ganga Vertel, this really, really amazing, amazing artist commune space. It's huge. It's a a large circle uh, within these this this multi-house structure building structure that it's just it's it's hard to describe the story isn't about describing it it's about the 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 time lapse scenario that happened so here we are it's saturday night we're playing in hamburg now i'm sorry it's friday night we're playing in hamburg and saturday night we're due to play in vienna austria vienna austria the drive from hamburg germany to vienna austria is monstrous i'm gonna say it's likely anywhere from nine to eleven hours i can't really recall and we're in such a scenario that we have no choice but to do the gig in Hamburg, which we're one of the main bands on, luckily, and we're playing really late, and then just get in the vehicle and drive straight through to Vienna, uh, which, you know, we had done stuff like that in the past. But I, I tell you, we did that drive and we got to Vienna and we had all of about three or four hours to just kind of sit in the in the resting apartment that we had to crash in before we had to go to the venue in vienna and play and paul and i yeah paul and i looked at each other um uh, with just like this look of how are we gonna do this yeah like like dude i can't even i can't even think right now (laughs) i can't and 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 i'm telling you that night was one of the greatest gigs in our history wow um and there's also i mean flashback to any of those that European tour that I'm talking about all the European tours that we go on what always happens is this we'll fly out of America on Thursday just say on Thursday night five o'clock America time okay. we'll land Friday morning on what feels like 1 a.m but ultimately it's 7 a.m in Germany right, so boom, yeah. and then we'll wind up having to travel a bit that day never having slept and do the gig that night. And I mean, this is just like these are just examples of of, of time and, and how that travel could kind of weigh you down. But I can tell you now, in each and every one of those gigs, we wind up summoning up that same thing because our view is we have got to play every single gig like it could be our last. And any band that doesn't do it that way, what the hell's the sense of going to see them? Period. That's that's how I take it. I've as a fan, I've seen thousands of bands. As mm-hmm. a musician, actively, I've played with thousands of bands. And I guess it, it would be easy to say this because it's my band. But I'll tell you now, I have not seen that many other bands that go up there and walk the walk, talk the talk, deliver the goods, and act as if it's the only fucking thing that matters in that moment. Yeah. Other than what we do, I'm well, telling you now. In the I'm sorry to have seen... dropped an expletive. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on this. You you are allowed to do whatever you want on this. I've show. been trying to be good, but <laughs> uh, you know, like I, I can tell you this: just the excitement of playing music gets us so uh, amped up, and doing it together. And having done it for as long as we have, it's just this celebration. So, yeah, I don't know how, but we do deliver the energy. I can, I can say confidently that I'm not really worried um, about any of the, the 450 or 500 shows. I know that every one of them we both gave every single thing that we could. And that's one of the things I believe that leaves us as a mark on people's um, 
uh, memories. Uh, if they only saw us once, generally, if, if they caught the right night or the right part of the set or they were open-minded enough, they're usually looking forward to seeing us again. Or they couldn't stand it and they never want to see us ever. <laughs> There's well, also that, the, yeah, you know, so... I, I've heard that from some other band. It's, it, it's you know, I mean, it's, that's just the nature of music. But in the clips that I have seen, it is an intense show and one that I'm dying to catch. So I've got a few, a bunch of more questions here. If, if yeah, please go ahead. As long as we have time, I know you you had come up with a couple, and I and and I, I want to get to everything you got. I'm a talker, and I kind of go off nope. of my tangents, but no let me problem. get out of the way and, and hit me with what you got. Alright, so in the, on the new album, each song kind of flows into the next one. It, is it, was that on... I don't want to say on purpose, because you kind of explained how it happened, but did you spend a lot of time in the studio, and, and did you edit it that way on purpose? Because it kind of sounds like uh, almost like a, it flows almost like a Pink Floyd album, like a Dark Side of the Moon, where one song just kind of slowly morphs into the the next song there there several songs are just not a clear cutoff they just kind of morph into something yeah. else and it's it's a, a fantastic effect on the album well i i love that you noticed that uh, great i could tell you now that uh we, we come away with that that whole theme of having that that pink floyd-esque type of like they the songs could bleed into each other that's something that's been really based deep in the core of our band since the start because uh, of our approach live and now our approach live also this also plays into how much improv is such a big part of things with live that's what we do with our set we don't like start do the first song and then it's over and and we wait for you to clap and then i say hey everybody it's <laughs> nice to be here tonight in the twin cities hello uh, cleveland yeah exactly um so and then we do the next song stop wait for you to clap. we do we do not do that pity we, comment we go on you know, we let everybody know that we're thrilled to be there and, and, you know, and prep up and then we go and we get in. And from the first song to the last song, there isn't silence. We weave them together with these improv segues. Uh, so uh, a la some weird, long, winding, Grateful Dead jam where they're like touching on four different songs and winding up back in the first song. Yeah. Although it's, not, although it's nothing like the Grateful Dead, but just to use <laughs> no. it as a point of reference. Uh, but uh, so essentially, when we first started making albums, we had a very, very, very deep um, kind of yearning to translate that um, overall one program of music type of feeling to the albums. We've been trying to achieve that with almost all of the albums. Um, you know, sometimes it, it comes out just right, sometimes not. Uh, this new one, we definitely paid, uh, paid, we paid attention to the sequencing, and I could say that Songs two and three uh, on the record, uh, as I'm, I know that you've listened to the whole thing, I believe song oh, yeah. two is, is Cyclops, Cyclops and song three is Revealed. Yes. That was actually one entire piece. Oh, wow. Uh, if, if, yeah, when you next time you listen to that song, or for any of the listeners out there, um, that was one entire piece. And there's this there's this kind of cut part where it's like, do, 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 pop. Mm-hmm. Like, and that do, 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 pop. We cut right there and made that the end of Cyclops. Okay. And then the da like the kind of you know again I'm 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 very doing a very bad impression of, of a drum beat. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Paul would be a lot better. We should get Paul on to do Paul that here. But um, then the the this re- revealed is essentially the second half of Cyclops. It was a song called Cyclops Revealed. 
Oh, yeah, that's the, yeah, that was when, when we first edited the songs down. That was that was that one was going to be called Cyclops Revealed. And then upon further listening, we realized, oh, as one song, it's about eight and a half minutes uh, as two songs with this interesting stop in the middle. It's one's three and change and one's five. And, you yeah. know, there's you know, there's that. So, uh, you know, like that's a little insight to that. Why how that would sound really seamlessly in terms of cut the other songs. We definitely uh, we definitely paid attention to which batch of songs we were going to put together on this uh, on this collection because we know there's a second album coming. So mm-hmm. we kind of like went through the stuff, took a look at the sessions, see so we saw which songs kind of were done near each other in the session that have a natural flow and rhythm of how they came out of us. Okay, uh, and I think we kind of looked to group those together a little bit. So I think that there's a, a flow to the album because. Uh, we we were creating, um, you know, like those vibes uh, kind of all r- right around the same area. Uh, like I'd say that okay. th- this album kind of constitutes most of the first half of the session um, and the second album that will come out in time kind of constitutes the second half. So the, um, the, the, the blending together, the overall kind of one long program thing, that is something we're always aiming for. It's based on our live performance, but – on this album particularly, we definitely combed through the stuff and whatever pieces kind of were similar to that, mm-hmm. like uh, maybe it was one piece that we cut into two. We tried to make sure the sequence reflected that. So okay. it would be a, a, an overall program that played well as opposed to like just a bunch of songs. Oh, OK. And because I'm, I'm listening to and it, it. Like I said, it flows really well. The whole thing, it, it's it's really cool. It's kind of like uh, like Mars Volta meets Jethro Tull or like uh Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. <laughs> or, or like a maybe like a, like a really shouty first generation King Crimson. Oh, that's I'm yo I'm I'm loving what I'm hearing, man. Thank you. That's very nice of you. I like all that stuff. Oh, that. is is the second album to come out? Is it a similar vein or is it different? Uh, I would say it definitely has some different um, some different atmospheric. Um, textural stuff okay this one might have um maybe some more of the aggressive moments um i think the next one has some interesting kind of uh left turns and some little more outside noise and some of the more quiet moments that we've ever achieved that i think Ah. we that's the thing when you're kind of when 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 you're a band like us and and as we describe as you mentioned how we've been described rather than me just self-professing <laughs> but as we've been described mostly you've used words metal and punk and experimental and you know scary and bearded i don't know what was used <laughs> Gypsies. but i mean uh basically when, when, when you're for the most part known as kind of heavy wild and, and, and nuts you know relying on the distortion pedal i i, I have a huge i have a huge pedal board and there's like two distortion pedals and there's a bunch of yeah. everything because i i, I want to ask you about that but yeah, but but like, you know, we found, you know, like relying on that, um, you know, feels good, feels good to flex the, the, the volume muscles. But we hadn't uh, yet in the studio gone a lot of places where we could conjure an, a deep intensity with uh, without like just let's go to the distortion here or let's right. go to the big crashing thing here. So I think uh, there's uh, there's an interesting element of um, some quiet intensity that we achieve on this recording and on, on the, the up, on the on the sequel uh, that we haven't gone to yet. So I think that's uh, that's even more interesting for us to reveal some more uh, vulnerability and um, some more areas where 
rather than rely on the um you know like like the blowfish when it's it's worried it like it expands yeah. you know like it, yeah. it goes from this little thing to like the big blowfish with the big you know, like as a duo you know you wind up you know uh, we're a duo and we generally get lumped in with other heavy bands that we play with so we wind up doing the blowfish thing like we go on stage and people are like what are they gonna do and then we literally you know melt your face and you right. know and run and run a uh, run a lawnmower over your soul, you know, I mean, so, uh, you know, for us to get in the studio and decide like, okay, let's try to get to those places without just automatically being barbaric. I think that's what we're, we're really interesting and interested in, in, uh, the stuff that we explored and the stuff that'll be on the next, um, the next CCXMD album. Well, if I can make a suggestion, perhaps, uh, one of those songs that they haven't been titled yet could be called Circus Circus. You know what? We this, it's clearly going to wind up playing into this. There's clearly, clearly that reference is going to bleed in moving forward. Attributed to the Performance Anxiety Podcast, 100. percent For those now, for those of us who don't live or are not from the Brooklyn area, can you tell me what a Gowanus flower is? Ah, a Gowanus flower is a rare, rare, uh, non-existent, uh, <laughs> mythical. Mythical Aesop fable. Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, like essentially <laughs> the Gowan, the Gowanus uh, area of Brooklyn is a neighborhood that sits upon the Gowanus Canal. Uh, the Gowanus Canal, uh, again, people out there consult Google. It's the most um, polluted, miserable, fetid, disgusting, uh, dumped in, dead body floating, <laughs> oil slick housing toxic waste revealing um Ugh. you know body of water that exists the guanus canal is absolutely bubbling over and green Ugh. um so we have a lot of experience down the guanus because uh in 2012 and with that green water i just spoke of because in 2012 Hurricane Sandy was its name. It mm -hmm. was the first hurricane in my lifetime to uh, bewilder and demolish um, of many portions of the neighborhood that I call home, Brooklyn. Yeah. We don't really, I mean, at this point now, obviously, in you know 2019, uh, and we already had data then, we all know climate change. This isn't a podcast about that, but obviously <laughs> that's a major thing. We could spend five podcasts on that. But at the time, you know, going back eight years, of course, you know, you, you, we all we all had heard and knew about climate change. But being like New Yorkers and hearing like a hurricane was coming, it was just like, who are you? What are you? What are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, 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 Forget about it. Coming. Yeah, forget about your hurricane. Where's your hurricane coming from, Bubby? You know, like, I mean, we, we, we just like we did not believe a hurricane could come. So I mentioned this because we had a practice space in the Gowanus area of Brooklyn. Uh, we uh, it was we were banned for, you know, this is we whatever. This is in 2012 when they when it was destroyed. Um, we were sharing it with a band called the Giraffes. Uh, uh, really, former podcast uh, guests. Yeah, oh, you know what? When I was dipping through the uh, your your page earlier, I saw that you had Aaron. Yeah, uh, and he is an absolute marvel. He is oh amazing. God. He is a hero. He is the bomb. He is great. His and stories are amazing. He, he's great. You got to go if, if you haven't listened. Go back and listen, everybody, because it's uh, there's stories about getting defibbed on stage and getting shot in the leg. It's just incredible. 
Yeah, and I tell you now, moreover, listen to his stories, but listen to his band, too. The giraffes yeah. are amazing. We, we were sharing our space with the giraffes, uh, and Hurricane Sandy hit right around Halloween of 2012. The space was in the Gowanus, literally on the block that sits right on the main part of the canal. Okay. Um, we didn't believe the hurricane could do much damage. We didn't take our gear out of the studio as it was going to hit. We just left everything there, and then the hurricane hit, and it was massive. And we heard from the owner of the space uh, a day after the hurricane saying, you guys need to come down tomorrow. There's been a, a flood. Um, more or less everything is destroyed. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we went down to our space. And again, uh, the hurricane rocked our, our part of town. So many people lost homes. Many people lost things that were a lot more uh, exclusive to living your daily life than instruments, which are just objects and replaceable. Don't get me wrong. As I said earlier, the therapeutic value of the band is why we're in it. It was not fun to fish out these tools of our trade, but they were just objects. But that said, in Gowanus, we suffered that. That same day we fished that stuff out. We met Martin BC, who I mentioned at the top of this podcast, yep. a producer who's had a studio in the Gowanus area for 35 years. He didn't suffer too much damage uh, via that hurricane, but he was walking around his neighborhood just to see who else had suffered damage and if he could help anyone. We noticed him. We had a conversation with him that led to our relationship with him present day. So in Gowanus, that uh, natural disaster bred this flower uh, of experience where – we lost all our stuff and realized that they were just it was just objects. We had uh, many of our friends who were bands at the time, Bandy, around us, help us out, donate gear to us so we could keep on going until wow. we rebuilt the gear. We met the producer who would produce our next two albums. Uh, it was just like a lot was bore from that. And it just so happens that at the time, we wrote a song about it called Gowanus Ghost. And that appears on our 2014 album called The Night of the Fights. Right. Uh, when we were recording this new album uh, and we were working on the piece that's called Ode to Iguana's Flower, it didn't have a title yet. It was just uh, a piece that we really wanted to achieve a real stirring emotional intensity uh, through almost like a guided meditation, um, uh, walking through a hallway of, of just whack, insane, anything goesness. So if anything goes, this could be a term, but at the end of that song, it is now, but at the end of that song, um, I started to call upon lyrics from Gowanus Ghost, uh, in Ode to Gowanus Flower. So, uh, after the song was committed to tape and we went back and listened to it and I recognized that the name of the song was going to be Ode to Gowanus Flower. It was really kind of, um, our, uh, wrapped up um, feeling about that area and um, the stuff that's gone on. And yeah, a flower does not grow in Gowanus just like a, uh, you know, like they wonder if a tree grows in Brooklyn. You know I mean? It's just, a, it's along that same kind of thing, baby. You know what I'm saying? A tree does grow in Brooklyn uh, and flowers do grow all over, but the, the Gowanus flower is a rarity, a sewage drenched, toxic glowing rarity. Well, that's a much better story than I was. Exp- I was afraid it was going to be like the, uh, like the Aerosmith Coney Island whitefish story. 
I'm not sure of that, but I just heard Aerosmith, Coney Island, and Whitefish, and now I don't know if we have time for you to tell me that story. <laughs> but if we don't, then off mic later, please impart it to me. Anything involving Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, Whitefish, I mean, is Joey Kramer there? I don't know. Oh, I'm like, I... It's that's deep. It's it's <laughs> it's not as deep as a story as it sounds because all the the title is a reference to the all the uh, used condoms that would wash up on the shore of Coney Island. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so that's now what, you tie me, and now this is a lot more Stephen Tyler sensibility. Yeah, now, yeah, you know, like this is the guy. Like I remember, like when I was a kid watching the decline of Western civilization part yes. two, which, uh, you know, like tracks the sunset strip and what's going on there at the time. And Aerosmith, I think are like freshly clean and sober when they're shooting it. Like if they're like kind of crashing and burning, but they're definitely like the biggest rock stars at the time that are in the movie. They're like the elder statesmen. Yeah. And, and Megadeth Steven, is starting oh, to Megadeth. descent. Yeah. Yeah. Megadeth. Uh. I mean, there's, 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 there's a lot of interesting and, and, and stuff in that. And in yes. the decline of Western civilization part one, but, I remember Steven Tyler's like pull quote was like, the younger bands, they're into jerking off. Us, we're into fucking. That's what I think. I think that was Steven Tyler's big line in that movie. I, I watched it. I was 10. I was 11. God. I'm like, this guy's nuts. You I got to look like, at that. So, I don't remember that. I've got to check that out again. Yeah, it's check it forever. out. I'm telling you, it's going to sound just like it sounded when I said it a few seconds ago. Like, what? Oh yeah, that's what God. he says. All right. God so, bless him. You use a lot of pedals. Yes. Are you constantly buying them, or are you, is your setup pretty much where it's going to be? Uh, well, uh, similar to how you know, like we the the, the sound and our approach and, and our style and our genre continues to reveal itself to us. Uh, the journey with the pedals is one that kind of um, was an exploratory one. You know that I that I went uh, that I dove into out of need at first. Mm -hmm. I didn't like kind of grow up thinking like I'm going to be the the pedal guy. You right. know, like <laughs> definitely didn't think that. I mean, when Paul and I started playing, and we realized like, oh wow, we really feel good playing together. We'd like to primarily keep this as just the both of us. That's when I realized I was going to have to conjure up some more sound than just the basic guitar sound. I was going to need yeah. bottom end, so I was going to need an octave pedal. I was going to need to have some sort of mimicry of another guitar there at times. So I definitely was going to need a delay, maybe two delay pedals. I was probably going to need a loop pedal, although I didn't want to rely specifically on loops because they're very rigid and limiting. Mm -hmm. But I was just going to have to be able to call upon all those to continue to fill the spaces is, is what I started to, to feel and see. So I went upon the journey of starting to build the pedal board. And at first it was just one pedal, then a second, etc. So it was kind of like keep on buying, keep on buying pedals for the first few years. I'd right. say by around 2011, about three years into the band, the the basis, the core of what the board is today was kind of born then. I mean, okay. the, the, currently, uh, the, my, my pedal board is actually being uh, re, rewired and retooled right now by uh, a really great musician and good friend of mine named Jason Wallenstein. He's a longtime friend of mine, an absolute amazing bass player. And uh, he works on pedals and works on other stuff, and he's just a good dude. He has my board because I'm prepping up to go on tour shortly, and it needed to be rewired, reworked, reconfigured. Also, my old pedal board, one of the um, one of the elements of the case was broken by the airline when we were flying from uh. Berlin to Manchester on tour last year. So I land in Manchester, UK, from Berlin, Germany, and my pedal board is basically broken open, and Ooh. then I have to – Results. I, I I I resort to 
duct tape technology at that point. Like, so then it's like, I become, I become the guy who's just duct taping my pedal board closed. So it goes from like, I look from like, I look like a Mr. Super sophisticated. Oh, look at the pedal board on this guy. What's he got. And then what I got is I got fucking duct tape. That's what I got. So ultimately I had to get away from the duct tape technology. So my buddy yeah. Jay Wall is doing the job on the board now, and he's upping my pedal, um, uh, my board to 15 pedals. That's what I'm running nowadays. Wow. I, I've been running consistently a minimum of 12 pedals on the board since 2011. Uh, when I when I could run everything I need, generally it's about 15 pedals. Um, wow. I I do my best. I've done my best, and I've learned like so many other things in this game uh, of life. I've learned by doing and making mistakes. Uh, what I've learned is that buying pedals that are, for the most part, um, readily available to replace, uh, like um, rather than boutique pedals, mm-hmm. and and you can you can get some amazing sounds out of all all the pedals. I'm not saying I'm anti boutique. <laughs> like I'm 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 all for anyone using whatever works for them. Um, but I've found that um, I use a lot of Boss pedals, and those happen to be available at Guitar Center or Sam oh, yeah. no matter what city city or town or no matter what time of day I'm awake here in my town. You know, So um, some of the kind of keystones of the board um, are Boss pedals that, uh, that I've broken two, three, four, five times already over the last <laughs> eight years, and I've replaced. I generally like uh, certain ones like the Boss OC3 octave pedal that I use for my bass tones. Yeah. I usually buy those like two at a time. I'll buy one <laughs> and put it on the board and I have another one for eventually. Because I'm also like I'm I'm also like the king of sweating. I'm like the, I'm I'm like the, I'm a I'm a sweater of uh, a champion. I'm a championship level sweat machine. Nice. So like I, I'm literally dripping you know my, my my spillage down onto my board while we're playing. This stuff gets rusty and shitty real quick. So, I mean, I try to, you know, like I've, I've learned to keep the board based around stuff that I could find and I could replace. Unfortunately, none of it is all that inexpensive. Uh, and it is the kind of thing when you with pedals where if you buy cheap, it's not going to last. I'm a big guy. I'm well over 200 pounds. I stomp on things. I'm mm. hard on, on all my stuff. I'm not thinking, let me step on this nicely when I'm playing. <laughs> when I'm playing, uh-huh. this is the key. I'm not thinking at all. That's why it's happening. So I wind up like finding that, you know, you can't just buy, I can't just buy cheap stuff because I break it. And, and, and like the, the durable, um, findable stuff is, is, is the best for me. So, um, the pedal board grew out of necessity. I found uh, the sounds in it. I've done mix and match. I've made mistakes. I've peeled away pedals. I've had numerous times where I've had issues along the way as, you know, any, any, uh, any individual dealing with technology or anything like that, it sometimes doesn't want to agree with you. But yeah. uh, luckily, like um, there's been enough times where I've been on my knees, sweating profusely, trying to make the thing work within like three minutes of having to go on, and like <laughs> and finding that if I just stop, take a breath, and start checking every single wire, like I'll always find the issue. You know, so it's just like kind of the kind of thing where it's like. If you learn how to drive in a Porsche, then what happens when you don't have the Porsche? But if you learn how to drive in like a, a Plymouth Volari or a Dodge Dart, oh, then when this. you eventually have like a Porsche, like, you know, you can handle anything, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, I kind of learned by making mistakes and I've had stuff break on me. I also had an instance when uh, another story that involves Hamburg, Germany, we get to Europe and the first show of the tour is supposed to be in Hamburg where we've had a lot of success and we're thrilled to be playing. 
the guy picks us up at the airport who's helping us out at the start of the tour, and he's like, I have some bad news. The venue had an electrical fire, and Whoa. they can't host you tonight. But we have a different venue. And I say, cool, man. We'll play anywhere that we we can play. Thank you. Yeah. And we go to the alternate venue, and it's literally like a the smallest bar I've ever seen that has a tiny, tiny back like area with a couch that's going to be moved and Paul and I are setting up to play there. And there's one point of power. There's one outlet in the whole place. (laughs) Everything's plugged into it. And I got to run an extension cord into it like a snake thing to plug all my stuff in. So, and what happens is this, I plug all my stuff in and the second I plug it in and hit power on my board and everything. Yeah. All the lights, Everything in the whole club, and I, I'm sorry, everything in the mini, tiny, small bar that is making up for the club goes out. Everyone, Everyone's computers, their laptops, like, oh like lights, everything goes out. And automatically, I go from like the dude who's about to play to the villain. Yeah. I go to this, who is this heel? I pull a heel turn where suddenly like I am hated. Oh. And, like, and, 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 and my problem is, I don't give a shit about what went out on you. My pedal board just fucking exploded. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Oh, my power no. surge strip thing that I had in my board burnt right then. Oh, and God. I was stuck in this scenario where I had to ask the uh, the gentleman who was, you know, I- involved in the tour. I mean, I you know, he's a friend of ours and he works with us, but he's actually the tour manager. It feels kind of formal to tour- call him a tour manager. He's this great individual named Andreas who helps us out a great deal when we're over in Europe. But I had to – I said, Andreas, I- I'm in a bad spot. I need like 10 AA batteries right now. That's oh the only way gosh. I can make my pedal board work. And he's like – Hang on, I will be right back. And I don't know how this beautiful German man did this, but within five minutes he was back, and I was on the floor, you know, opening every pedal, sticking oh a nine bolt in, God. and I had to, I had to run the board on. Ba- I was buying new batteries every day for that tour oh. just to get through it. Uh, luckily, it was only luckily it was only nine shows, so it was only about fucking ninety batteries I went through because Jeez. they'd only last one night. Uh, until I got home and was able to fix the stuff. So, oh my God. yeah, you you live and you learn, and mostly you learn what, like uh, by being on stage and having the mistakes happen, with the lights shining on you and the sweat happening. You know, it's like you, you can't ever be as prepared as you'd like to be, and when shit goes wrong right at the moment when shit has to go right, it only prepares you better for all the next times. Well, it sounds like in a just an amazing time you've just had a an amazing time playing with your cousin and i've got one more question for you i know i've kept you quite a while here uh now nah, go for it man have you made it to all 50 states yet <laughs> thank you for that question oh that's a killer it's a killer because i mean first of all we've come to realize that hawaii and alaska will be um very much uh tasks in and of themselves we're realizing now that in, in order to do alaska it seems kind of like we'll have to book a couple of shows in alaska it can't just be like we we strap alaska into the middle of a tour and and hawaii yeah. <laughs> is such a destination vacation scenario where we found that there are diy spots down there but to, to dignify purchasing airfare to do a hawaiian show uh, we have to, you know, there has to be a greater good that makes sense. It could be in time because we do want to click off all 50 of them. But we're, I think we're firmly sitting at 
41 right now. Oh, um, nice. or I'm sorry. It's either 39 or 41. Um, and you know, and that's, we owe a debt to having been on that black flag tour because some areas, for instance, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, um, those are ones that, you know, you don't just like wake up and you're on tour and you're there. Like, like <laughs> suddenly I found myself in, in the Montana. middle of a, Montana is an amazing, amazing, amazing state. I saw some of the most uh, deep, majestic beauty in those pla- those yeah. the Dakotas and Montana. Uh, you know, I mean, when I was there, it was it was during the summertime, and I was telling the locals how much I wanted to move there, and they were warning me at how vicious the winters were, and I was trying to warn them that I'm a, I'm a New Yorker, nothing's vicious to me. <laughs> uh, but that said, um, some of the some of the states that were maybe a little bit harder for us to get to, we were lucky enough to, to check off on that tour, and we and in that tour we were able to make good enough impressions that every one of those states are ones we do plan on going back to. We've gone back to many of them, but there's still we have to, many we have to do the work on. But yeah, we're still about uh, at least ten states short on the fifty uh, on the fifty state um, uh, checklist. Uh, but we have been lucky enough to be able to compile 11 countries um, 10, 10 countries outside of uh america so basically the story is like now we've done about 500 shows in 11 countries 40 of the 50 states in america that's how we spin it it sounds a lot better and more like <laughs> you know like more um you know like serious that yeah. way and we we've we've been fortunate and um you know like just we found that not only does hard work really pay off but Hard work with with a smile and hard work with a good attitude goes a really lot further of a way. Oh, yeah. That's the one thing that I could tell anybody who's about to do anything in any way, shape, or form, artistic or otherwise. Keep a good attitude. It's it's something that's appreciated by most and many. There's enough negativity out there. Don't hate on what you're doing and don't, like, get, like, lost in your mind's vision of what it should be. Accept what it is and flourish inside that, you know? That's amazing. I love that. Thank you so cool. much for that. And if on the next tour, if you guys get down to, to Virginia, D.C., I got to catch you guys. Oh, done deal. Then we'll, we'll, we'll definitely see you. I mean, what's going on now to uh, to, to get us to it? Um, yeah, we have, uh, we have mostly a West Coast Southwest run that's planned for November. Uh, the, the album CCXMD is going to happen November 1st. It, it's released uh, out into the world. Um, November 2nd, we have a, what we consider to be kind of a warm-up show in Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, and then November 8th is when we hit California, and uh, the 8th is Baker, Bakersfield, California. The 9th is Pasadena, California. The 10th is Reno, Nevada. The 11th is San Francisco, California. The 12th is Albany, California. It was supposed to be Oakland, but that fell through. There's an the Albany 13th, in California, too? Wow. Yeah, I didn't know till just now. You gotta hit all those cities yeah. though. The 13th <laughs> is Shadow Hills. The 13th is Shadow Hills, California, and Mike Watt and the Missing Men are playing on that oh, show with nice. us. Uh, nice. The 14th is in Fresno, and then the 15th we go to Texas. Uh, we go to Denton. The 16th we're in Dallas, and then we head back home. Um, and uh, we're in the middle, behind the scenes, of working on other new material. So we're gonna be a little bit crafty and how we plan the next bit but right after we get past the cold bit of the holidays and into the new year we're definitely planning um a bit of regional stuff down your way nice so uh sometime by the spring uh march april area uh we're gonna do like the second blast of dates in association with the ccxmd album 
and we are undoubtedly going to be in the Virginia area, area 100%. You'll see us. Beautiful. We'll see you. We'll shake hands. We'll hug. Yeah. It'll be real. Well, I'll tell you what. I will trade you some uh, some photos for uh, if you guys can swing a media pass or something. Cause Consider it done. I will shoot, and after we're done here, I will shoot you a couple pictures to show you I'm not full of shit. I actually studied photography in college, so I'm holding you to that. I have a very high bar. I'm, I'm just that was I'm kidding around. <laughs> Please send whatever you can. Uh, I tell you right now, I don't even know where, when, or what yet, but it's going to happen, and you can be guaranteed. Boom! We had a lot of fun. You're on the list. Awesome. It's on. It's on, dude. Well, where can people follow you guys uh, on social media so they can? Uh, Plan to come see you guys on tour and, and follow your Insta- – you have Instagram and Twitter yeah, and all that? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you all that stuff. Um, Cinema Cinema, uh, which is the name of the band. Uh, obviously, you know, if the name of your band is like, you know, Green Vanilla Fart, like you could probably <laughs> – you'd be extremely Googleable. You know, if yes. the name of your band is, you know what I'm saying? But like being that the cinema is something that you can go to anywhere and uh, et cetera, like uh, – it's uh, it, we we just try to keep it simple. Just cinema, cinema band is basically where you could find us with almost anything. Uh, so if you go to cinemacinemaband.com, that's our website. If you go to Facebook and you go to facebook.com forward slash cinemacinemaband, that's us on Facebook. If you go to Instagram and you do the same thing, that 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 forward slash cinemacinemaband, hey, that's us. The only place where we're just cinema cinema, I believe, is Twitter. Um, so, okay. I mean, yeah, we're, we're really kind of findable in terms of, uh, the socials. We do obviously engage in social media. We're not fans of it. I don't know, um, you know how it really helps, but it does work in such a way that you can communicate things to people, whether they're yep. good or bad things and whether yeah. people hear them and understand them or not, that's its own conversation. But we are on the socials. We do post about what we do. We, we do go out and play music with the hope that people will come and join in the insanity and, and get in the moment with us. So you can check. Uh, we keep everything pretty fairly uh, sharply updated. Um, yeah, the uh, the new uh, the new record will be available at all the shows. Uh, Nefarious Industries is the record label that we are on now. Uh, currently, they're putting out the album. They have a lot of other really, really, really great cool outside music a lot of bands that we very much respect zevius and bangladeshi and brandon uh seabrook um there's just a lot of really really ox is another band those darn gnomes uh, there's a lot of really great stuff on nefarious industries awesome. we're really we're really excited to be working with them it's a really comfortable fit um and being that we have a lot of music uh kind of already in the can and more stuff we're working on i think it's a it's a harmonious relationship, and we'll see how it progresses. I can definitely envision there being some other new release of ours uh, by late next year, and followed up by um, some more touring abroad. We're kind of due to get back out over to Europe, but now I'm starting to sidebar. I could go for another hour. I'm sure <laughs> you got what you need. Yeah, and I'm I, sure your listeners have, have uh, your listeners have literally overdosed yeah. on Ev Gold and Cinema Cinema uh-huh. to the point. You might have to revive somebody. Or I don't know how you're going to draw them back in next week. I'm sorry that I burnt it all up and we went so crazy. No, it's in, it was intense, just like the music. And I think we've come up with at least four song titles for the next uh, for CCM, CCXMD2. You know, <laughs> we got Circus Circus, we got Green Boom. Vanilla Farts, we got Spillage, Boom. and Anything Yo. Goesness. Yeah, yeah. Listen, when you send those photos for me to observe and and rate and judge, yes, 
uh, please send those song titles as well. <laughs> you got it, man. I'll do it right after we hang up. Sounds good. Man. Hey, then, thank you so much for coming on, spending so much time with me. I really do appreciate it. It's been fantastic. My pleasure. 